I'm trying to create a platform for, for trail builders to write and tell stories. And most of them were like, I don't, I'm not a writer. I'm not a journalist. And I say, well, you don't have to be, but you, you have a story. Like you're doing cool stuff. Like I, I don't have me tell your story. Like you tell your story. And so it's been a fun thing to create this. I'm trying to make it like an accessible platform for builders to tell the stories. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blom. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 161 will be a bit different than most shows, as this was a last minute idea to hop on a Zoom call with Sean Benish. Sean is the person behind Trail Builder Magazine, Loam Coffee, and a whole lot more. I didn't really have any topics for this conversation, so we just went with what popped into our heads. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right. www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Trail One Components, the mountain bike component brand that was created to provide the best quality mountain bike components while giving back to the trails with every purchase of their products. My favorite Trail One components are the Crockett Handlebar, the Rockville Stem, and the Hell's Gates Grips. For a 20% discount on all Trail One components, Use the coupon code TRAILPOD at checkout. By using this coupon code, you are not only supporting trails, but a small commission can come back to the Trail Effect and help support the show. Now on to the Trail Effect with Sean Benish of Trail Builder Magazine. What do you know? Are you, are you back home right now? I am in La Crosse, Wisconsin right now. Yep. I've been, mm. I haven't traveled since December. Oh, wow. Which is good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How are, how are you liking your, your, how long has it been now since you've been working for them? For Rock Solid? I started working for Rock Solid in the middle of May. Okay. All right. And I was thinking around summer. Yeah. Good. Yeah, technically, I had accepted that job on my way to that conference in Reno. <laughs> That's good. That's good. How's it feel to be out of the DOT world and in a trail building company? It's good. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, forever, you know, long before this podcast was created or there was much trail builder media, I would go to the PTBA website and look at their conferences and look at whatever kind of information I could pull out of their conference proceedings and Mm -hmm. try to learn what I could from like PowerPoint presentations without having the context (laughs) of the actual conference. Yeah. It's good to be able to, you know, actually work with and meet, you know, a lot of people from, from behind that world. Right. Yeah. That's good. So what what so what's your job then? I remember hearing you talking about it, but what what's that look like on a week to week basis? So week to week, so I do planning and design, and then I also have a little bit of project management. Okay, where I have a so I've I've kind of maybe a quarter of my duties or less now have to do with or probably less now have to do with a little bit of construction project management, mm-hmm. mainly mm-hmm. with a couple projects in the Bentonville area. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is planning and design, and that's talking to clients, writing concept reports, getting all the information that go into concept reports and any kind of planning that needs to happen ahead of design, doing the actual design. Mm -hmm. The travel with that would be everything that has to do with 
flagging trail, ca- capturing those GPS tracks, getting any kind of any kind of anything that you need to know mm-hmm. to put a design plan set together, design set together that could go to bid or that your own crews could be using to build trail from. Nice. So yeah. That's good. Your article yesterday caught me off guard and I was like, you know what? We have, we have like <laughs> the exact same audience. Uh, yeah. We need to just have a conversation. <laughs> and so people can get it in audio and visual and words and all yeah. the things. Yeah. No, it's fun to look at some of the comments, you know, just on our, when we posted different people like, Oh, I love that podcast. I listened to it. Or, and I look back at when we posted that interview with you on the trail builder side, I was probably, I'll have to look at the the stats again. That was probably top two, top three, most well read clicked article to date. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, I guess, surprising <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot of people are hyped about it. So are you able to, to, um, I'm sorry, you're an institute. Are you able to gather like stats as far as where listeners are coming from? So you have an idea of like how global the reach is or who's listening from where? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting. So obviously United States is number one, right? That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a given. Uh, for the longest time, and it might be back at number two, but for the longest time, Canada was number two, another yeah. you know, given. Yep. You know, right after we were at that conference together in Reno, mm-hmm. I, did a, I did a recording with Glenn Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And he's super infamous in terms of the trail building community, especially with what probably most notable, what he's done in Tasmania blue derby, but he's got a lot of other Mm -hmm. stuff too. Mm -hmm. Those who go back into the way back machine know that he was the original course designer for the UCI for downhill racing Mm -hmm. back in the Mm nineties. But I released that episode and I, well, I recorded in April. So it probably came out in May of 2023. And then Mm -hmm. after that, my number two country became Australia. Nice. And they've been, kind of neck and neck with Canada as far as global reach goes. I mean, Europe, there's Mm -hmm. a bunch, obviously a lot of countries in Europe that listen. Yeah. You know, Imba Europe, as you know, is, is huge into the trail building world and Mm -hmm. they just consume trail building content like no other. For sure. Yeah. And I'm sure you see the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I get, and they have like so many different, I'm not tentacles because there's Emba Europe, but then I get hit up by like Emba Italy guys. And then there's, you know, there's all the little country chapters. And then after a while, like I was just, it's all, all blends together to me. Ignorant, Amer- ignorant American, like it's just, it's all Europe. <laughs> well, it's, they have a lot of stuff going on. And I think, you know, and Emba, I think it's a misconception that Emba Europe and Emba the U.S. are connected and they kind of are because they carry Mm -hmm. the same name, but they do operate Mm -hmm. in their own, in their own ways. Yeah. You know, and Imba Europe, I think is doing a really good job with that dirt. I think it's called the dirt program. I'm assuming that's what Mm -hmm. it's called. Yeah. You might know more about that than I do. Dirt.eu. I think that's the website. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the, the challenge. There's like so many, like, I love social media. It's so fun, but there are so many like dm conversations and it just every day it's like people are tagging their and i just like and i just get lost i'm like how do i keep how do i keep like email's fine because i can like put in folders but man dm because like then it's the dirt guys and then this trail builder in germany and then the imba italy and then this other imba and then it's like man i'm just it's hard to keep them all straight i could only imagine because you have a lot of stuff going on you got Trailbuilder Magazine, Loam Coffee, Earth Tech Media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're a digital media instructor at Warner Pacific University. You probably can tell I just looked at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't even know if that was up to date. <laughs> well, it might not be. So you tell me, is there more? <laughs> uh, no, no, that's it. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's, that's my week. But then on top of that, you're also the communications director for the Northwest Trail Alignments. Alliance yep. Align- alignment. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working in civil 3d doing trail, pl- trail design for too long. And so alignments and profiles are yes. like right on my, are on my yeah. front of my brain right now. Yeah. Yep. That too. So like, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're all, 
part, but they're different. I think different ones. Now I think different ones take more time and throughout the course of the year that there's an ebb in the flow. So obviously once a semester hits, I'm teaching a full load. It's go time. I have, I don't know, usually four five, six classes a semester I teach. So that's, you know, that's go. And then in between semesters, summer's obviously longer, winter break, then other things ramp up. So yeah, it's an ebb and a flow, but it's, it's all, it all works. And then Northwest Show Alliance is consistent every week. So it's always, you know, helping out with social media, web, showing up events, taking photos, all that kind of stuff. It's really been a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. So since you started Trail Builder Magazine, I think if yes. I if I have my brain right, because it was right around the same time I took Trail Effect off of Mountain Bike Radio and went on its own. I want to say was it February of twenty twenty two or twenty one? You uh twenty twenty two. Twenty yeah. Because we're in yeah. twenty four yep. now. Yeah, because that was yeah, that was good memory. So that was that was the month where I bought the domain name, I secured the social media handles, I registered as an LLC, and then my first post, I built just a landing page on the website. Here we go. Where is this going to go kind of thing? Yeah. Where has it gone for you? Yeah. So Probably a workload like you didn't imagine. Uh, no, it's been it's been actually a really incredible surprise in that I recall the first couple social media posts that I did, it was like, wow, there's some good traction. Like people are liking, they are engaging. And then, um, you know, maybe part of it too, being like a digital media instructor. So I have like a social media strategy that tries to foster engagement and grow. So I've been working, you know, in the midst of working all of that, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is actually working and taking off and seeing really a lot of fun engagement. And then, yeah, then it was like, oh, I got to, well, yeah, then it was like, I got to figure out how I'm going to really do this. Because it was like, I'll start it. I'll see where it goes. I didn't have an exact timeline for when I wanted to do like the first print issue. The initial thought process, again, secure all those things start trickling out and building a social media presence, get momentum, work up towards the launch of the first issue. And I think that whole process was about a, a year and a half. Yeah. And it's, it is pretty awesome to see, you know, when you started that and, you know, I, we, I'm sure we both did this to scratch our own itches, which was that we're curious mm -hmm. about the trail building community and what trails do mm -hmm. for communities and, mm -hmm. It's crazy to see that there's that many people that want to like consume straight up trail builder, trail community content, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And as we were talking before, it's, it's a, it's a global audience. So like every day I see, you know, I get the orders in, whether it's someone's buying a print mag or like a digital issue, like today is Portugal, right? Tomorrow's gonna, you know what I mean? It's like it's Portugal, it's it's Australia, it's Germany, it's Spain, it's obviously Canada, US, but it's like, yeah, wherever there's trail builders, I would say it like this, wherever there's trail builders, I feel like we are finding each other and they are consuming then the content, whether it's online articles or the magazine. Let's back up a little bit. You have a master's in strategic communication from Arkansas State. I don't know when you got that, but did you see Arkansas coming on line like it has as far as a trail building uh, mecca? Well, okay. So <laughs> I did you hit record right away? Cause I did. I feel like I'm okay, I'm jumping all over the place. We so, are. And that's um, totally you're, you're fine. The splicer. So okay. To back up way before, um, yeah. So I I feel I feel I always like the conversation of what is our entry point into trails? How did we get involved? And everyone has th their origin story, whether it was like, I used to race, I used to do this, I used to do that. So started off way back when, over 20 years ago, I was, while in first time around in grad school, I was a mountain biking guide in Southern Arizona. So that really put mountain biking even more so on my radar and had a lot of fun. 
we did some trail maintenance, but it wasn't like anything today. It was more like trimming back mesquite trees and, you know, some of the trails that got washed out from monsoons, fixing that up. And that was really about it. So I had been at that point on really more the urban studies track. So my doctoral work was in urban studies. Um, I would say more like global urban studies, nonprofit world. So in that arena, you're learning about all kinds of urban issues from economics to how cities are changing, the history of cities. And that also put on my radar, you know, because you can't talk about cities without talking about rural. So we talk about the process of urbanization, people moving from rural to urban, whether it's the U.S. or in China or developing countries. So part of looking at that made me more acutely aware of what has and continues to happen in rural America. And I'm from rural America. I grew up in small town, rural Iowa. So I, that's always there. Like, I can't get away from that. So that so I have the mountain biking thing. I have the, you know, the urban studies thing. And I started teaching in our urban studies program. So I did that for a few years until that program eventually um, they they no longer offered it anymore. Just there wasn't enough in the pro enough students in the program, so they basically got rid of the program. So it was during that time that I had been experimenting with my own startups. That's when I initially started coffee. I'd previously started like a publishing company. So I had been doing my own startups and doing my own social media and branding and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden the school was like, hey, you can teach this. Sure. Yeah, I can teach that. You can teach social media. Like, yeah. So so I started moving more in that direction of digital media to the point where it's like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I need to go back to school again. So that was Arkansas State. And I'm literally just finishing up my capstone right now and I'm done in two weeks. So I was like, all right, where can I go get a master's in communications, focus on social media and just ram it out in a year. And so I started a year ago and I'll be done in a couple of weeks. You're the third person that I've had on this podcast that it was a guide in Southern Arizona while in college. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's something about it. Good old Tucson. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's where they were too. Where did you, where did you grow up in Iowa though? Cause that, you know, I, I mean, I'm in Wisconsin, which I haven't, yeah. I can damn near see Iowa from here. Pretty much. So I grew up, um, as you know, the Midwest, there's a million tiny little towns that no one's has heard of, especially in Iowa. We got 99 counties. So I grew up in a little town called Tama, which is about 45 minutes straight West of Cedar Rapids, just straight West. We've got a couple of projects going on in Iowa right now through uh, rock solid. <laughs> We're at. We got one that's gonna go this summer in Mason City. Okay. We got another one going on in Sioux City. That's gonna wrap okay. up this year. Nice. So, and I want to say I don't know. I did see an RFP come out in the last month or two for Des Moines, Iowa, for some work in Des Moines. I don't know what. I can't remember what that work was though. Yeah, which is exciting to see because when I left the state. In 93, I wasn't a mountain biker then. I, there were, probably was no mountain bike trails. And when I got my first mountain bike in 94, I was going to college in Omaha. Like, I don't know if there was any trails. We just rode on kind of whatever. So, yeah. So it's been fun to follow Iowa from afar to see these kind of projects coming in. And it's really cool to see. Um, yeah. And a part of the state that I grew up in is pretty hilly so it's right by the river so we have a lot of the i don't know geologically what it is but you know the impact of the river so it was an area part of the state we call the bohemia alps so super hilly my wife grew up on a farm there super hilly i keep envisioning and dreaming like turning her family farm into this world-class destination bike park but that's my dream <laughs> Well, and the only part of Iowa that I, that I was familiar with, which actually is, I'm going to say, was pretty early to the game in terms of mountain biking and trails, it was is Decorah, Iowa. But Decorah, Iowa mm -hmm. is so close to the, I mean, it's 20 minutes south of, 30 minutes south of the Minnesota border. It's right in the same region that I live in, which is referred to as the Driftless region, which has mm. good topographic relief, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, anywhere from 
you know, 450 to 580 feet of elevation vertically, which, you know, for the mm-hmm. Midwest. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of unheard of. Yeah. Bike parks. You go to bike parks. You talk about going to bike parks all the time. <laughs> I do. Well, when you, that's okay. Let me, let me rephrase that. You talk about, you, you listen to the podcast when you go into the bike park. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a little, I mean, when you say bike park, what comes to mind, right? People think of the Whistler. So we have a little bike park in the heart of the, not really technically the heart of the city, but it's in the city. So um, it's one, the Northwest Trail Alliance has been part of building and maintaining, and that's just a 20 minute pedal for me. So especially when the weather is not so sloppy, then I'll, many times a week, I'll just pedal over, do laps, work on skill progression, pedal back. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's, you bring up a good point because I've had to start redefining my terminology personally to municipal bike parks or like, mm-hmm. you know, to which I would consider like the more skills area, like you're talking about dirt mm-hmm. jumps, pump tracks, mm-hmm. but then also bike parks also get lumped into what you just said, which I now refer to as gravity bike parks. And that True. could be a whistler or that could be, you know, little 300 foot hill with the, you know, with the chairlift or, or a shuttle or even a pedalable, you know, bike park yeah. that is more gravity focused, right? Yep, for sure. We're starting to see those pop up a lot more, which is pretty awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a few of those around, um, but, you know, the, they're fun. I like them. Just go downhill, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what did you think? Of your, what was your, it's almost a year ago now, but what did you think of going to Reno yeah. and seeing a thousand people in the same place <laughs> for the, fo- for the purpose of trails? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not new to conferences or trade shows that kind of, so I knew what to expect, but that was the first time going to anything specifically trail building related. So that was like, yeah, we hadn't even released our first issue. So it was, I'm just going to go. I, People kept DMing, hey, you should go, you should go. I'm like, hey, it's in Reno. That's like really close. Why not? So it worked out with my teaching schedule. And so I went down, met a lot of people. Um, yeah, and it was great. So I think the no, I think the best part was that was right after I got Lone Coffee back because I had started it, ran it for five years, sold it, was out of it for three years. And then I reacquired it. Um, so that was, I think, a m- two months after I got it back. And and, and Greg, a single track, was like, "Hey, you want to just come and serve coffee in, in, in my booth?" I'm like, "Yeah, that'd be awesome." So I got a big duffel bag, loaded all my coffee stuff in it, like pour overs and kettles and extension cords and all these bags of coffee. And so that was the best thing because I don't know how many cups of coffee I'm I made, but people are a captive audience. And all of a sudden I'm talking about the magazine and, you know, a lot of people had not heard of it. So it ended up being like the best thing possible just to serve coffee, talk to people and have a lot of fun. And then I also went as kind of like media. So I, that's kind of went there on like I'm media, I'm trail builder mag. And so took a lot of photos, did daily recap write-ups published to the website, driving traffic to that. So it was so much fun. and. Yeah. I won't be able to go this year, which is a bummer, but it was so fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. This year it's back to just the the regular PTBA conference in Georgia and that's Mm. coming up next month. I'll be there kind of serving two roles now. I'll be there both, you know, as an employee of rock solid, Mm -hmm. but then also doing some podcast stuff. Tony Bloon and I have something up our sleeves Mm. that might Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's Tony's, Tony's got a lot of connections and he's also got a lot of requests of what he wants to hear for Mm. content. And so Mm -hmm. I think I'm just going to turn it over to him and say, here you go. (laughs) Yeah. No, we've been talking about writing and him writing an article for us in some capacity. So. Yeah. And the guy's a legend. He's He's been around forever. And I don't mean that to make him sound old. I know sometimes sometimes when I say legend, people get like offended because I'm sound old. It's more like you have a vast amount of experience that people want to learn mm-hmm. about. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the next International Trails Conference, which is the big one, they're now doing them every other year, is actually in Wisconsin. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Madison. That'll be fun. So that'll be in 2025. 
I don't remember. I think it's in April again, but that'll be, that'll be a good one. That'll be close to my home. <laughs> yeah. So you went to another conference. It's not really a conference. Some people may think it's a conference, but Cedar City, Utah. Yes. That was a, probably a whole different experience because it's way more focused, way more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hand, I don't, hands-on might be the wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. term, but it is hands-on learning. I went to the first IMBA Trail Labs ever. Now it's uh, called Foundations, but I went to the first one in Bentonville back in 2018. Okay. What did you think of that? And seeing people that are just like, how do we get, how do we really get this to our community? Yeah, that was, that was great. So again, I went in a similar capacity like the, the trail summit and that, I mean, I threw all these conversations with the magazine, connecting with a whole lot of different people on staff at Imba. And so through conversations, I threw out like, hey, I'd like to go and cover this for the magazine. I still am working on an article from that. So just being able to go and being an observer and taking photos and talking to a lot of people, it was really, really good. And it was my first time in Cedar City. I've been around that area and different parts of Utah, but not just where I was hunkered down there for a bit. So yeah, the workshop or, or I don't know if we call it a conference. I mean, that was really, really well done. Um, I enjoyed that immensely. The the class time and then the field time was great. And a lot of conversations with builders in all capacities. Some were, you know, work for city government, some were, you know, leading nonprofit, all kinds of people there represented and hearing um kind of some of the challenges that they are up against that would lead them to come to that workshop was really good. Super insightful. And again, to be able to check out Cedar City was so much fun. Yeah, I've never been to Cedar City. I just see the photos that you and Imba post and mm. it uh kind of makes you drool. Yeah. Yeah. I think the big disappointing part is I did not ride as much as I wanted to. So, but what I did, I thoroughly enjoyed and, and you know how it is. It's fun to ride trails and even different climate and soil conditions than what you're used to at home. And so I love the desert, high desert. So that was great. I know I walk away from stuff like that. Like I specifically walked away from that in 2018 super energized. Like I didn't, Mm. like I kind of knew quite a bit of what was going on, but you just, you come away with a new sense of like purpose. I want to say of how to like really get that something ingrained into your community. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that leads back to, or circles back to some of the earlier conversations we had about like, what is, you know, our, our entry point into trail building. And for me, it's, I, love and and passionate about the whole economic development component of it. And yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And that's one of the things that was, was talked about a lot at the, the trail lab was just different data on economic development, impact of trails. So yeah, super good to see. And yeah, it's a great opportunity for communities, especially not even those on the up, but hope to somehow turn around their struggling economy. Yeah, that's a, and that's a common thread I've, you know, picked up on many, many years ago with the Moabs of the world or the Oak Ridges of the mm-hmm. world of like mm-hmm. our one economic driver, Canyon and upper Midwest is another good, good example, but our one economic driver mining, some sort of resource extraction resource, mm-hmm. you know, thing is gone. Mm-hmm. How do we replace it? Yeah. You know, and it turns out ecotourism is a, good thing to replace it with. Yeah, for sure. It can be. Yeah. And then the, but it can go too far. Right. So yeah. then it becomes like, you know, like a Moab or a Sedona or a Whistler where it's like, all right, now it's like, it's too much of a good thing. And it's your Jackson, Wyoming and, you know, the price point of ecotourism, adventure tourism, outdoor recreation. And then it creates these, I mean, those are obviously extreme examples, but it creates these little exclusive enclaves that are challenging to live in. Yeah. What is your, what is your take on that from a balance point? Cause you're right. Those are extreme examples, but those are examples that if you do it really well, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know? And, and so it's like, we want the benefits, but we don't want the negatives. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we strike a balance with that? Like what's, what's your take on maybe some of the stuff you, you know, you brought to this world from your previous world before you were doing, you know, the 
the communication side of things? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not drawn from any particular data or, you know, I just think that, um, yeah, I remember talking to Greg about this Mazu when he came to swung through Portland, um, we're connecting, we're talking about this very same thing. And, you know, he brings up, you know, we're kind of like, we're both sharing about how, you know, there are those examples, the Moabs, the Sedonas of the world. And I think that the, the challenge, because we're juxtaposing that with what we see more on a local level with an Oak Ridge and um, like Oak Ridge will probably never be, I don't, I don't think it'll ever be, this sounds bad and I can't believe this is being recorded. I don't think it'll ever be a Bend, a Sedona, et cetera, nor should it be. And I think one of the challenges that communities may have is most places are just not as visually appealing as a Sedona or a Moab or Whistler with, you know, the, the majestic magic, you know, red rocks and all that kind of stuff. So even though there's lots of trail infrastructure, their main, there probably will never be that boom to make these places exclusive enclaves just because they're not that magical of a place. I mean, I think they are, but you know what I mean? To like the common tourist who is looking for the perfect weather, lots of sunshine, red rocks, those kind of things. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like I actually look at not the destination sense of it as much as I look at what does it do or what can it do for the people that live there or attract more professionals to come there? Like mm-hmm. to me, that's, yeah, that's where the magic is. And, and in my, you know, and like for my viewpoint, it's awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome to travel to the, to the iconic destinations, the Disney worlds of the, of the mountain biking world that have everything from, you know, the, they have the aesthetics, they have everything you want. They have the elevation, but people still got to have something to do where they live. Mm-hmm. And that's like, to me, that's the magic of like, okay, I'm done with the work at four. I don't want to throw my bike in the car. I want to be able to pedal yes. from where it is and go. And that's not, you know, you need, you need to have both. And I think that's, you know, with Imba's more trails close to home initiative, mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily creating iconic places. It's creating yeah. places for people to start and do seven days a week with the hopes of probably maybe going on a trip somewhere to doing yeah. what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So while I said that, I'm not saying that's necessarily what I want or what I believe. I just think that's what, you know, makes things like you said, the Disneyland or the Disney world, like there's only going to be a select few of those, but every place else, like, I don't think an Oak Ridge should try to be like a Ben. They need to be the best version of themselves. And it is to me. So to me, that is a magical place. That's that's Disneyland for me. It's Disneyland without the crowds and without the hype and without the $15 sodas. Right. I like that. I prefer that. But I'm just we're talking like on a grander scale, like capturing tourism eyeballs. Um, But yeah, I much prefer those kind of places that are doing the hard work of putting in the trails and growing it slowly. And still making it more accessible for people who live there and they're not pricing people out. So, which is interesting, the whole concept, because on the urban side, you know, we learn all about gentrification, but then there's this thing called rural gentrification. It's the same, it's the same dynamics. Maybe with the difference of, you know, there's a race element that's quite not the same in most of these rural areas. Yeah, no, this is a good topic. And, and here's why. I get asked pretty common or pretty frequently, how do we, and I don't want people to take this out of context, but I'm going to use this example because it's literally the question that comes to me. How do we become Bentonville? And my response always without missing a beat is you don't want to become Bentonville. And I'm not saying that in a way that Bentonville is negative. I'm saying that in the sense that you need to be uniquely you. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're saying. You know, like I had- the former mayor of lacrosse reached out to me back in 2021 after he was done being mayor and was on in a, he actually isn't he was a, he's, he might even still be the economic development director for a, a nonprofit or that now I'm really, I need to get this right, but I'm not gonna, <laughs> he's a local, he's the, he's executive director for the local economic development corporation. Lat, I think that's what it is. Anyhow, whatever. Lacrosse area development corporation. Economic Development Corporation. Maybe I'll cut all this out. Who knows? 
Maybe not. <laughs> but he's he reached out to me because he's like, hey, you know, you know people from Bentonville. We want a speaker from Bentonville to come speak in lacrosse to talk about how good Bentonville is. And while I kind of hemmed and hawed at that request because I was like, yeah, you you really need to get somebody from that knows Bentonville, but is from outside of Bentonville so they can give you a better a more complete picture. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I reached out to Mike Repiak from Imba and I'm like, Hey mm-hmm. Mike, I mean, he's, first of all, he lives two hours away from me. Right. And so like mm-hmm. having him, having him talk on that is, is good Two, This is before trail labs or trail foundations was going to, to Cedar city, but they'd already been doing several of these in Bentonville. So he knew, so he knows the Bentonville perspective very well and presents on the Bentonville perspective very well. But also at the same time, they have a big dynamic of what was going on in Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and it's Amba. So they have literally all this stuff going on all over the country, you mm-hmm. know, and they can, and he can paint that uniquely your community picture. Mm-hmm. And he knows lacrosse well, cause he's done trail planning and design in lacrosse, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting ask. I thought, because it's like, you don't want to be like somebody else or something else. You want to be you. Yeah. 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 And most communities don't have like the Walton family. You know what I mean? That, so that's an anomaly that's not, you know, you can't replicate that. You can't replicate Red Rocks. You know what I mean? There's certain things you just, you can't replicate. So yeah. why try? But be, like you said, be the best version of your community. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, a lot of communities, not maybe not some of the more, not, not the communities that are really rebounding or trying to rebuild, but a lot of communities that are going to be mid to upper size that are trying to, that have a good professional infrastructure in place in terms of professional mm-hmm. businesses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They may have a bunch of community or a bunch of local businesses or philanthropists or a community foundation of some sort that they can pull from, you mm-hmm. know, to, to, as a composite, really build out that infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, Portland's huge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's other city, you know, there's 100,000 person communities that have, there are 100,000 people be, for a reason. There's something mm-hmm. going on there, yep. right? <laughs> Whether for or not sure. they have the topography or the access, like I've always, <laughs> my biggest thing has always been like, if you get the access, you can, the money usually follows. Mm. You know, it's just getting the permission to do what you want or need to do, Mm -hmm. you know, then you can, and I think the Imbo Trail Accelerator Grant is a great program that exposes that and proves that because, I mean, you've seen the numbers, how how many, how many millions of dollars have build funding has that program created essentially? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, it's like, a hundred X what they've invested into it in terms of like what the, what the planning costs, at least 10 X, you know? And I've said that forever. Like the planning and design is the, is like 10% of what the overall thing is, but it's what gets, it's what gets you to that overall thing is it paints that picture. Right. Mm, Yeah. So anyhow, we went off on a tangent. (laughs) That's a good tangent. Talk about loam coffee. Like I, I, I have to, I have to admit Mm-hmm. I don't drink coffee. I've never drank oh, coffee. I'm that's sorry. A shame. I just, I've, I didn't grow up in a house with coffee. And so mm-hmm. it's never been in, you know, in my purview. And the only thing, maybe this, this is childhood trauma right here. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some childhood <laughs> trauma. I once had a coffee flavored jelly bean. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. That's and what it did totally you screwed me over. <laughs> yeah. So we can, you know, you, it's a relative comment there, but it's, I, I can remember yeah. it like it was Easter and I had a coffee flavored <laughs> jelly bean. And I'm sure it was horrible too. And it was really horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that experience, maybe not the, the jelly bean, but I think that's the, a common experience for most people in that. Why do they not drink coffee? It's like, it's gross, right? And so most of us grew up, and again, I forget, I mean, these these numbers are a little old, a few years old, but the last I heard is something like, don't quote me on it, it's like, of oh, the coffee drinkers in the US, like 94% are still drinking Folgers, Maxwell House, et cetera. And then maybe 
percent, five, five and a half percent are drinking like Starbucks and Pete's. So the whole specialty coffee industry is like maybe a half a percent share of the coffee drinkers. So most people are drinking bad coffee or like even Kirkland Signature, like just not good stuff. And so like I grew up in sipping coffee that my parents are drinking. It's like, oh, it's gross. It's like catfish bait. It's like, why would anyone drink this? And no wonder why you have to put so much milk and sweetener because it's just atrocious. And I think for a lot of people, it's just, it's simply a caffeine delivery system. So honestly, that was kind of like, all right, I always liked coffee shops, kind of that whole vibe. And so I drink like chai teas or maybe like a mocha, you know, espresso with lots of chocolate and stuff. But it wasn't until... Oh, wow. I would say I was, I wasn't quite 40, but it was late 30s. So I was, all I remember is I needed a late night place to write my dissertation and do all my research. And um, we're, yeah, we, there happened to be a, like a chain coffee shop nearby that was open until midnight. Um, Our kids were young. And so it was go there and just get a half and it's like the cheapest thing on the menu was coffee. So I get like a half a cup of coffee and I would put like milk and then sweetener in it. Just, that was just, I needed that just to buy it so I could hang out that place and, and, and write and read and all that. So it really wasn't until we moved to Portland, boy, just 12 years, 13 years ago that I really started going to like discovering the whole specialty coffee industry and like light roast coffee. And it's like, Oh, you mean it doesn't taste like, burnt tire rubber. Um, and so I then, you know, I found myself slowly using less milk, less sweetener. And I remember one time just like, just that's it, just start drinking it black. And so that really got me into it. And I was already fascinated with the whole coffee industry anyways, and coffee shops. And then so really the origin story, boy, I guess we're talking, this is a podcast. So the origin story of of my coffee brand was, again, this was now over 10 years ago, was I was wanting to start a mountain bike guiding company. And I did a very lackluster crowdfunding campaign. And I was like, shoot, I need more money. How am I going to do this? And I had a friend in LA who was an architect. He's like, hey, I got another friend who does white label. He's a coffee roaster. He'll do like a white label for you. So you can just work with him and um, he'll roast and bag and ship your coffee and you just split the profits. So, and he's like, why don't you use that for like a fundraiser? So I thought, Oh, why not? So I thought, well, I have to come up with a name, like, I don't know, mountain biking. I'm in the Northwest. I mean, I wasn't taking any of it serious. Like, I don't know, loam coffee. I mean, loam is now overplayed, but I was like, I don't know, loam. That's it. So I started doing that. And again, kind of like, not like the magazine, but it's like, oh, well, I should have, a, I need a website. Uh, I need social media. And then all of a sudden, like I did it, started posting content. And cause I'm just like, I'll sell coffee, raise funds. And then it just started taking off and we just started getting more orders, started growing on social media and just growing, 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 growing to the point where probably within a year, it came to the realization, like maybe I actually stumbled onto something and I kind of really want to do this. And so I end up buying a roaster and spent the next six months to a year learning how to roast and eventually severed ties with the roaster in LA and just did it all myself. I went in house and that was kind of it. That was the origin story. And it was cool because it was like, you know, thinking through like specialty coffee, uh, especially in a city like Portland, um, I was like, I need to make sure I target non-specialty coffee nerds. So I was like, I'm a mountain biker. So like, again, all of our branding, marketing, social media, when everything towards the mountain bike community, and now I've expanded out like gravel, bikepacking, et cetera. Um, and so that was our target and just started growing. And I remember probably within the first couple of years, like Enduro Magazine did a little write-up on us. Free Hub Magazine did a little write-up on us. And all of a sudden, it was just like, just momentum kept growing and growing. And pretty soon, I was having a lot of fun with it. I wonder if there's a parallel line of specialty coffee and microbrew beer. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, because they're... 
I mean, similar, right? So beer, everyone grows up with like the bush bad light. beer, bush light or hams. You know, yeah. If, if you're Just from the- our part of the world, pig's eye, if anybody knows, if has ever heard of pig's <laughs> eye, I'm really digging back into my college days now. Yeah. So Schlitz, like Schlitz, yeah, bad <laughs> beer, but it was like all that you knew of. And so it just tasted like crap. And then, you know, you got the breweries now that are making exquisite beers, right? So same with coffee, especially coffee is making such good tasting stuff that, yeah, it's enjoyable, right? And you can drink it without milk and sweetener and you have all these flavor notes that come through. It's fruity, it's florally, it's chocolatey, it's nutty, or, you know, you can geek out a lot more than that. So now you're making me think that because I don't really have any like goals for 2024. Maybe I, maybe maybe I should become a coffee drinker and, and put this uh, bad childhood trauma of eating a cho- uh, coffee flavored jelly bean. Yes, it can happen. Never too late. It's never too late. You it went away, or you sold it, or you it, yep, and then it came back to you. And that would yeah, have been so two months. You said two months before the Reno conference, you were getting yeah. Back so home. I just I I just got burned out. I mean, I was just doing too much myself and I was like, ah, I don't know. And I just, I just needed a break and it was just an eject button. So broke the company in two and split it up and sold everything and thought I made the decision. And I did, I'm, I actually, I, I zero regrets. I'm glad I did that. And actually having the three years away from it, um, even though I still helped out from afar, um, cause I ended up selling both parts to two different friends. So I still was involved in some ways. So, but having that perspective of being out three years and then I guess in that time, focusing more on the whole, you know, digital media aspect of my life, especially through higher ed. Then it kept thinking like all that, man, if I had it back, oh, this is what I do. This is how I would do things different. This is what I would do or all that kind of stuff. And so by the time it came back to me, um, I was actually really raring to go. And I had like a like a clear vision of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to get there, and all that kind of stuff. So it was yeah, perfect timing. I don't know. I guess I need to start drinking coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun because everything does intersect, right? Coffee, um, you know, can't talk about coffee, mountain biking without beer, or you know, it's in trail. It's like it's all interrelated. And so yeah, I think that's been the fun part of seeing these different worlds kind of col- not collide, but really merge together. And there's there's like a symmetry in my life kind of managing both. And it's not like they're so separate. It's kind of like it's all part of the same thing. Um, yeah, and it's fun because I do. I love startups. I like um, creating things from scratch. And I remember it was around the time that. I forget the exact timing, but it was around the time like, hey, I'm going to do this whole Trail Builder mag. I think it was that time that Beta Magazine announced that they're stopping. And I literally just subscribed. I was so high because you I was me reading the online article. And I, j- and I remember after I heard the news and I got that magazine, I don't think I opened it for two months because I'm like, well, that's it. They're done. And so... You know, coming online with a magazine at a time where like a lot of magazines that we liked, whether the newer ones like beta or old ones were kind of either completely shutting down or moving to all digital. It's been a fun challenge to think through with Trail Builder. Like, how do I keep this? That's why I always said, like, I my goals, it's got to be financially sustainable from day one. So how do I make sure I can pull this off with not stupid overhead where, yeah, where I'm creating a problem that it's just not a sustainable thing. Did you see, and may, I've all, I think I've seen rumblings of this, but did you see that there's like bike mag is back? Somebody must've bought them out. Ah, uh, I did not see. I remember I did. Yeah. I remember I was checking them out maybe a few this months ago. This would have been like the last month or two I saw it. And I want to okay. say I saw something posted on social media or YouTube. And I'm like, wait, bike magazine? Like. So I think somebody must have bought the title. No, that's exciting. That's exciting. And I think for me, I remember doing like a, <laughs> I like doing like social media audits and like social media strategy. So over 
so end of last year, I was working on one. So part of like doing a social media audit strategy, you're looking at all these different, I mean, you call them competitors, but all who are all the other magazines out there that you're kind of competing against, whether it is like a bag, bike, you know, whether they're digital or like a free hub. And I think that's the fun part about where Trail Builder is, is while all these other bike mags may touch on trail building, like we get a, that's our exclusive focus and we get to nerd out about it. And also try to make all of our content accessible in that it's just, I'm trying to create a platform for, for trail builders to write and tell stories. And most of them were like, I don't, I'm not a writer. I'm not a journalist. And I say, well, you don't have to be, but you, you have a story, like you're doing cool stuff. Like I, I don't have me tell your story. Like you tell your story. And so it's been a fun thing to create this. I'm trying to make it like an accessible platform for builders to tell their stories. Now, whether they work on a crew, whether they own a trail building company or they're working for a nonprofit or work for a bike brand, just making it like super accessible kind of a magazine that they get to contribute to and that they are a part of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see, like, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be doing this journey for as long as I did, but it's a lot of the same parallel parallel type of stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. creating that platform for trail builders to be seen and heard and, and like create, generate more hype around trail building, teach people mm-hmm. how to, you know, get trails in their communities. So yeah, selfishly, we have more places to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and with trails, trail, build, I mean, I, I always look at it like there are endless conversations to have. Right. So you, you say trails and it's like, well, you can geek out about like trail building techniques, which obviously is going to vary from soil type to climate type. And there's all that kind of stuff like geeking out, rock work, whatever. And then there's all the other things that we've been talking about, the economic development component of it, making trails close to home, um, making trails, putting trails in like lower income communities. How do you make it accessible for all or a lot of stuff that that we've been doing with Trail Builder Magazine of late is, you know, how do we make trail building more open and friendly for women for, you know what I mean? So not just like it's as a white dude thing kind of thing. So yeah, endless topics, conversations, lots yeah. of work. Yeah. The women specific thing is something I've, I've hit on quite a bit too. And, and, and purposely, you know, I mean, yep. And I've, I've probably said this before, but, you know, I was raised by, uh, my mother, my grandmother and great grandma, great aunt, like every person that pretty much had a hand in me being was a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I have two young daughters. Mm. <laughs> and so I want, you know, first and foremost, like that's how I, that's how I got to where I was. But on top of that, or equally as important as I want my daughters to know that they can do whatever they want mm-hmm. and to not be limited. Like if they want to go do whatever, go do mm-hmm. whatever it is that you want to do, you know? And I want to be able to model that, you know, especially because mm-hmm. now like I'm in theory, not, I don't know, this is going to sound bad cause it's kind of not bad, but like I'm technically a single father. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'm divorced. And so I 50, 50 custom my kids. And so like, like right now they're at my house, mm-hmm. you know? And so, cause there was no school today. So, but I do have a really wonderful girlfriend who treats them like they're like they're her own. Mm-hmm. And so that it's not fully just single dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but it's, mm-hmm. It's important, you know, and I think both of us have done a good job in, in getting traction, but it's a job that we never, never stop. Right. We just continue For sure. anytime we can continue, you know, to highlight these, these incredible stories, we need to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes a little bit of digging. Yep. I agree. Yep. I agree. Anything else coming out new with, with, uh, you have a new roast coming out or anything new? With Trail Builder Magazine, you're on issue two right now? Uh, yeah, so we're working on volume two. The volume two, yeah. The new year, issue one. So, yeah. So, I mean, we got, I got, a, yeah. That's been part of the fun process is, you know, kind of working on this. And so, like, the 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 fall issue came out a little later than I anticipated, but that's because I was 
teaching full time and running off to do things like in Cedar City and got me even farther behind. And so, yeah, so we're working on getting the next one out, which is crazy because I feel like we just released the last one and it just, you know, every day I'm shipping off magazines or seeing people order digital issues. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun and trying to now get into, and I knew there was an element of it. It's like, you know, I'm going to build the infrastructure as I go. So it's like with each issue, like, all right, we need to do this better. We need to start planning longer term, planning out multiple issues, um, getting content, those kind of things. And yeah, it's been really a good experience. Yeah. I mean, we went over all the different things you're involved with at the beginning. So <laughs> I don't even know how you yeah. do it. Cause I know the same thing over here, like working full-time, you're working full-time, all these side yeah. hustles. Are you roasting yep. your own coffee then still? Like that's actually what you're. Yeah. So I mean, I do. I don't know what that takes for time. So. Well, yeah. So some, so I have, I have a, I'm another friend roasting. So I, but I'm also doing roasting myself. So we're, I guess we're kind of splitting it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It still takes time. All of it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the roast, the roast is not as time consuming as packaging, shipping, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That, uh, that takes a bit of time. So. And I see you have Bryce Sherbach on board. He yeah. Was, he was yep. sporting his, his loam coffee. Uh, <laughs> that might've been, was that earlier this week or was that last week? I think that was last week or timeline. Right. Yeah. Yep. So we've been connected. I hear his name come up on podcasts from time to time. So yeah, we've been connected mostly through loam for years. And finally it's like, Hey, we gonna send you some coffee. We gonna yeah. send you some coffee on a regular basis. Yeah. Bryce is awesome. He's been, he was, when it comes to storytelling and trails, like he's the one that sticks out to me as like one of the early pioneers that I can remember that mm -hmm. really focused on trails and trail communities. And I've told him this cause I've had him on the show, but even off the show, like it was eastbound and down Knoxville that like, mm. that's what put Knoxville on my radar. And that's what put him on my radar, mm. you know? And I know he's done a lot, but he did stuff before that and, that and he's obviously been doing it since then. But like, that was, I don't know why, but mm. that one like really stuck out to me. Like it is a pivotal moment of like, there needs to be more of this. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's why we're here. Right. For sure. To make yep. more of this. So for sure. Well, you might have work to do. I have work to do. <laughs> I yep. We both do. <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy we're able to connect. You know, this is something I think yes. we talked about, you know, but when I saw that yesterday, mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to spur the moment. Hey, <laughs> you available tomorrow? Cause that's literally, like, it was, this wasn't even, I mean, it was like 12 hours ago, maybe longer than that. 18 hours ago. Yeah. That this like, I'm like, I'm just going to hit record when we start and we'll see what we get. And the people are going to have to listen to what they listen to. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it too. Cause this is collectively like we're, you know, with trails, man. Yep. Trails and trail sure. communities. So yes. Sean, have a great weekend. All right. You get, too. Get out and ride. Yes, you too. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. All right. See you around. Take Thank care. you for everything too. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect Podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>